Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, camps have started. Everyone is now. It's not just the, the Week Zero teams that are in fall camp. Now all of a sudden the rest of college football is there. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I mean, I know we've been all consumed by realignment recently, but the fact is... And we've said this many times, the 2020 season was so miserable at times because of all the cancellations and conferences that played different numbers of games and such. And I'm just so ready for a quote unquote normal college football season. I know we're not out of the woods uh, on COVID, but by all indications, we're going to have full stadiums and fans and, and all that. So um, and we're going to have some really big games right off the bat, as we talked about on this show earlier. So. As teams open for preseason camp, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, so we didn't actually get a chance to talk. We've, we've both been all over the place. We, that's why this, this episode is coming in so late in the week. I don't believe we've had a chance to talk about a pretty noteworthy development in the last week, which was uh, Quinn Ewers, the number one quarterback in the 2022 class. You saw him out at Elite 11, uh, five-star guy, reclassified. He'd already been committed to Ohio State for a long time. He reclassified. He's now at Ohio State, or he's about to be at Ohio State, and be part of this year's team uh, coming off his junior season in high school. And and the reason, apparently, was that he wants to start capitalizing on NIL, and he couldn't do that in his state as a high school player. So of the top teams that we expect to contend for the playoff every year, Ohio State was really the only one that had a wide-open quarterback battle and that was with three guys now you've got four guys and they're all highly they're all former highly ranked recruits where where do you where does this thing stand i know cj stroud is considered the favorite yeah i still think cj stroud is likely to be the guy Uh, i actually saw him a few weeks ago out here in southern california he was training with jordan palmer he told me he's gained about 25 pounds since he's been there i mean he said he's up to 218 pounds. I mean, by all accounts, everything I've heard from people inside the program, they are very excited about what they think he can become in that system. Obviously, whoever gets the job is going to probably have the best group of receivers this year, not just Chris Olave, um, Garrett Wilson, really good group of young receivers, Marvin Harris and juniors in there, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba. So there's a lot of weapons. Now, a guy I would think to keep an eye on is Kyle McCord, who is a true freshman. Uh, people really like his arm strength. I think my hunch, and I don't know, you know, I'm just no. This is too early to to tell because we haven't even really gotten into the meat of camp at this point. But I think he will be the biggest contender for C.J. Stroud. Now, Jack Miller, who's from Arizona, is a redshirt freshman. He's also there. Ewers will be in the mix. Um, you know, that's four guys. I suspect even if there were three, one of those quarterbacks is probably at least one, if not two, are probably going to likely to transfer because that is seems to be the norm when you have these kind of battles, especially when it involves they're all young quarterbacks. None of these guys are like third-year junior where it's like a Dwayne Haskins situation where they, if they have a huge year, 
they could even consider leaving. So if somebody has a big year, hits the ground running, they're probably going to have the job for at least two years. So if you're one of those other guys, including Quinn Ewers, um, do you sit there and go, all right, I'm going to be patient and wait my turn or just see if the if the starter ends up getting hurt. I mean, that's the tricky part of these quarterback battles when they involve all young guys. So that part of it, how Ryan Day manages this uh, un- fairly unprecedented, I would think, situation in the quarterback room, and now, uh, you know, intrigues me as much as who wins it. Because think about it. So on the on the Ohio State official roster, they list – uh, C.J. Stroud as a redshirt freshman, but given the pre-COVID year, you, you know he basically is basically all four of these guys eligibility-wise are freshmen. They're first-year players. They haven't used a year of eligibility left yet. And like you said, guys of that caliber, guys who are that highly rated coming out of high school, generally don't last more than don't they don't stay more than two years. Like generally, the speaking, if you're not starting by your second year, you're, you're out, right? So how do you handle that? Because I agree with your assessment. C.J. Stroud, if you watch their spring game, and then just like Bill Landis has written this many times for The Athletic, our Ohio State writer, C.J. Stroud was definitely the front runner. He definitely opens fall as the as the front line guy. But like you said, um, Kyle McCord has huge upside. He just got there. And I wouldn't think you'd want to lose him just yet. Um, I'm not as worried about Quinn Ewers because he – I think he, even he probably realizes he's he's behind. Uh, he would have been a high school senior. So you've got four. Realistically, how many are you going to still have a year from now? Uh, I think you have to hope you're going to have three a year from now. But it's not Im- implausible to think you may only have two. Um, because keep in mind, there's going to be they're going to keep recruiting. So there's going to be somebody else who's going to be in the pipeline who's not there who's probably looking at it going now this is a pretty good situation especially if you're in the 2023 class because now there wouldn't be anybody coming not for certain you know look if if a guy transfers i imagine they will try to re-tee up somebody else in this class but if two guys transfer then you have to take a quarterback in the 2022 class um it's a really fascinating dynamic. It's not unique to Ohio State necessarily in having to balance um, your quarterback room. But I think what is unique is just you, you're you basically going to have four guys cla- ca- you know, classified as freshmen. And that doesn't mean that they're going to – they would be there, even the starter would be there for, for three years unless it's McCord uh, or yours, I guess. But um, – and they're not alone in this. But, again, I, I think it's – it's really fascinating to see because the expectations are so high. You know, I mean, it worked out well for Ohio State that Justin Fields landed there when, um, if you remember, and I remember having this conversation with Ryan Day midseason two years ago where he talked about what was going on with Justin Fields and the fact that part of what went into what they, they felt like they had Justin Fields for a while and that was a, a little bit of a security blanket in the decision when Urban Meyer and he decided to go with just to guy decided to go with Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow. Um, it just turned out Joe Burrow stayed in college longer than Dwayne Haskins did. So it's, it's well, the big difference now is the immediate eligibility, right? Joe Burrow waited till he was a grad transfer so he could transfer and start at LSU that fall. Any of these guys, if they don't play much this year 
I would actually say would probably, you know, other than yours, maybe would probably transfer and, and think they're going to come in and be somebody else to starter next season. We are past the, uh, for people who aren't aware, there is a deadline. I believe it's July 1st. If you haven't been in, if you aren't in the portal by then, then you can't like the no, nobody can transfer tomorrow and start this season for somebody else. You've, you've missed that deadline, but, um, but certainly at any time going forward, they could transfer and start next year. One other quick thing I wanted to mention about Ohio State, uh, Bill Landis was there first day camp. And um, so Master Teague was Ohio State's starting running back last year. Obviously, uh, Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma transfer, came on and had that huge Big Ten title game and, you know, really became a difference maker for them until he unfortunately missed the uh, most of the championship game. Master Teague was, was pretty good, but they didn't, you know, he didn't have that J.K. Dobbins and then name any gazillion Ohio State running backs before him kind of first. Well, on the first day of camp, and and uh, please forgive me, I'm not exactly sure the pronunciation of his, of his name, but Mayon Williams, redshirt freshman running back, uh, under the radar recruit, is actually taking snaps with the first string already. He had a good spring. Um, Ryan Day says it's the deepest running back group he's had since he's been there. That was kind of one of my questions about the Buckeyes for this year is, you know, can they get the kind of production out of that position that they're used to? So interesting sign that he's trying out somebody else on the first team well yeah and, and Travion Henderson is a guy who came in with a big big reputation and did look good in the spring so I think that factors into it um and we'll, we'll see I mean as you said last year um I thought Trey Sermon looked much better there than I think people expected him to at uh you know at Oklahoma where he had a he was solid but by the end of the year I mean wasn't quite the level of like Ezekiel Elliott going off in the postseason but he really had a, a burst. I mean, can you remember even the last time Ohio State didn't have a very good running game, though? Well, the year Dwayne Haskins threw for 5,000 yards, they and I don't know that that was on the running backs necessarily. It might have been more the offensive line, but Urban, that was Urban Meyer last season. They basically just gave up trying to run the ball uh, and let Dwayne Haskins throw 40, 50 times a game. But for the most part, um, you expect there to be a stud running back. Yeah, even that year. So you're right. They were middle of the pack. I'm looking at it now. They averaged four, you know, four point two yards a carry. They were seventh in the Big Ten. So yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, it was a weird deal because J.K. Dobbins had looked so good as a freshman, and then didn't do much that year, and then had a huge junior season. What is crazy is if you go back in the last since 2012, they finished first or second in the Big Ten in rushing every year but that year. Well, we'll see what they can do this year. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, I think in general, quarterback battles get the most attention in preseason camp. Like I said earlier, most of the top teams, though, you know, Spencer Rattler will be Oklahoma's quarterback. You know, Bryce Young will be Alabama's quarterback and so on. But what are some other ones? Uh that you're paying most attention to. Okay. The, the next one is one where I almost took issue with how you kind of teased the Ohio State one and you referenced playoff contenders. And then it reminded me of the beginning of the week, something I wanted to ask you where it seemed like you were jousting with the, uh, with the Tex Ags folks a, a little bit. Um, so it was, yeah, a little bit. I think you took issue with uh, somebody. somebody, somebody wrote a hat story in the headline or the tweet of the story said, you know, they had a big recruiting weekend, but everybody has a big recruiting weekend. But they had a big recruiting weekend. So, like, with weekends like this, A&M is, it could be a national title contender for years to come. And I just thought, you know, we're getting a little ahead, little ahead of ourselves with, with the A&M. All right, so go ahead. Okay. So, sorting that part out, um, Kellen Mond, who played a lot of football, was a good quarterback for Texas A&M. They have to replace him. They also have to replace a bunch of their offensive line. But so you have Hayes, Haynes King, who a lot of people are very excited about down there. Uh, Zach Calzada, who I do remember from his Elite 11 days, who has a really strong arm. Um, not probably nowhere near as mobile, though, as, as King. And Eli Stowers also in the mix. Um, my hunch, everything I've heard, is that Haynes King is the guy to beat. He's a really uh, dynamic, dual threat quarterback. And. We'll be interesting to see because they do have really good running backs. I feel like they have, and they have very good tight ends. It's an interesting Texas A&M team in terms of who takes over leadership of that. Um, I don't want to, I'm not going to force you to kind of go down the, the rabbit hole of the Texas A&M QB battle blindly on this, I assume. But I do want to kind of revisit a big picture thing on Texas A&M. Knowing new quarterback, knowing... Uh, a lot of turnover on the offensive line. Give me your realistic expectations for Jimbo Fisher and where that program is right now because I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of realignment too much either on this, but they just had a great season. Top four finish. They are recruiting very well. Um, I don't want to say, do you feel like that was a one-off or do you feel like over the next five years or the next three years 
how you think they get back in the top five? Yeah, I mean, to be clear, even though I made fun of that headline, you know, he Jimbo has been recruiting at the level that, first of all, that they hired him thinking he would do, and that, you know, to build a national championship roster. Um, the biggest problem for AM is that they're in the same division as Alabama. And you look at, you know, you, it's now what, nine years ago that Johnny Manziel went to Tuscaloosa and, and beat the Tide. Then they had a rematch the next year that was very back and forth. Since then, here are the scores of the Alabama AM games. All Alabama victories, obviously 59 0, 41 23, 33 14, 27 19, which I remember that game was not quite that close, 45 23, 47 28, and last year 52 to 24. So they're making progress, but I guess I will believe that they can be that kind of team when I see them actually compete with the current standard bearer in their division. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's a little, you know, delicate on this is they have recruited at a pretty high level like back in the past coming off the johnny manzel era they had a top five class then they had another top 10 class so it's not like they were not recruiting at a you know at a significant level or getting star power guys um now it wasn't top three but again they had a top five class coming off that group so i think the challenging part here is also i don't know do you feel like is at this point um like what do you feel like is missing for a&m to be able to be what either um what georgia is what lsu has been i mean what what do you feel like is missing right now well we're pretty simply put you know like you said earlier kelman was a a good college quarterback who who had his best played his best as a senior but was still a bit inconsistent the teams that are winning national titles now have superstar quarterbacks the the days of um uh i don't really want to, matt mock winning a national you know winning a national title with him as your quarterback like that's not going to happen you need uh, a Tua, a trevor lawrence a mac jones etc and maybe one of these guys that we haven't seen much of yet could turn into that i don't know um, but that's, that's the missing piece to at least to this point. So we know Jimbo has a great track record with quarterbacks. Um, we'll see if one of these guys can turn into that. If so, I certainly think they have recruited well enough to, I mean, I think their defense under Mike Elko could be exceptional this year. I think they have the best running back, uh, room in the country, possibly just got to have that dynamic quarterback. So where do you have them preseason pick? In your poll, uh, so sixth, I think. Oh, so you do have them pretty high up. Them sixth, I do, but I feel like there's a gap between when you take the like. I I could, I still haven't decided who I'm going to pick to win the national title. I don't know if you have, but out of that group of Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State, to me, you've got five programs that are just playing at a different level than everybody else right now. And then there's a drop, and then A and M and Iowa State going into this season are the best of the next group. Can I ask you this? And and it, I'm almost ready to answer my question to you. But what, what I would give is, uh, we just went through Ohio State as a quarterback battle, completely inexperienced quarterback going to take over. Texas A and M is going to have the same situation. Why do you th- why do you think there is a gap between Ohio State right now 
at five and Texas A&M at six? Um, well, maybe there's not. Maybe Ohio State proves to be mortal this year, but they. I mean, they proved winning. to be pretty mortal last year. By the way, they weren't very good on defense. They weren't very good on defense last year, and I am concerned about that. But like the difference in why I feel that way, and and I don't think most people feel that way, is just track record. How how many years in a row? I know last year. They only played like seven or eight games, but you know what I mean? How many years in a row have they been winning 11, 12, 13 games a year? And A&M just did it once. So they have more of a track record of what you have faith they're going to reload. I think Ryan Day is a uh, exceptional quarterback coach, but you're right. If, if they have a leaky secondary again, and if whoever the new quarterback is, doesn't come out and play really well from the start, um, you know, maybe Ohio state does take a step back for once and AM moves up there. I guess my question would be if Ohio State's going to take a step back, who is going to be the team that's overtaking them in the Big Ten? Uh, you know, that uh, I was going to say to me, I feel like the biggest gap, if there is a gap, would really be relevant to who you're competing against in your division. Like you said, there's Alabama. There's a lot of teams that have comparable talent. I just don't feel like if I had to take a team, I would probably lean to Penn State. Um, I'm not ready to say Indiana would be that team. I mean, I'm thinking about it because Michael Penix Jr. is back. He's a really, really good quarterback. I can make a case that he's the best quarterback in that division. I don't think it's a hard sell. Um, they have up, they have brought in a lot of talent in, in terms of transfer guys. They're, they were good on defense last year, and their best defensive player didn't even play last year because of injury, Marcelino Ball. So... I'm not ready to say that Indiana could be the team that supplants them. I think they're going to be, I still think they're going to be good. Um, but I would make the case that it's just the reason why I think you, you feel that gap is just because Ohio State sometimes can get away with not having their A game. Whereas if you're a Texas A&M in that division, it's harder to get away without not having your A game. Just, you know. I mean, it, it, to me, that's the difference with the SEC right now. I think another one to watch, and look, this is a team that was bad last year, and who knows whether there will be a factor this year or not, but Ken McKenzie Milton, former UCF hero who had a gruesome leg injury and has been out for two years, be the starting quarterback for Florida State. It would be a tremendous story. It would. I, I think it comes down to he and Jordan Travis. Um you know, Mackenzie Milton, I think, was like put up huge numbers, albeit in a you know at a at a group of five level, but was so good before that gruesome injury. Um, you know, Travis is he has played. It's not like one of these situations where it's a guy who is is really largely unproven. Um, you know, I, I think you will see both. I really don't think it's a case where. If Mackenzie Milton is the same guy who played at UCF, I think he's exactly what what FSU needs. Question is, is he that guy? And I don't think we're going to know until really the first game. I just yeah. don't have that feeling at this point. I think I hope he is that same guy because I just think, you know, it's it'd be a great story of perseverance and everything else. Um, and we'll see. I mean, if I was a Florida State fan, I'd be cautiously optimistic, but would really hover on the cautiously part of it just because – Think about where FSU has just been the last three years. I mean, they are, you know, we, we talk about every every so often about is Miami back? You know, at least Miami's a top 25 caliber team. Florida State is is further down the 
the path right now and they took a ton of transfers and hopefully they will they just got to get back to respectability and so if he can bring them some um you know some presence in the locker room in terms of some leadership i think that would be invaluable at the very least florida state has been through just so much turmoil over the last three or four years um jimbo leaving unexpectedly willie taggart getting dumped after two years so uh, Mike Norvell taking over in the middle of a pandemic. So there, to me, that's a much different situation. Miami, I think Miami could be a top 10 team this year. Um, big, big, uh, getting the Eric King back is, is huge. And they have played the transfer portal pretty well, um, filling some immediate needs. So I think they could be pretty good. I don't know if they're Clemson good. I don't know, think anybody in the ACC is, but could they be a, a New Year's Six team? Absolutely. Texas, they've been in the news a little bit lately. I don't know if you've heard. Um, but they are going to be playing in the big 12 this year. And, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is now their coach. I don't know if you've heard about that either. Just a few headlines about that. Um, fascinating quarterback situation. Cause if you watch the bowl game, you would be like, oh, they've absolutely got their, their quarterback of the future. And yet it's by all accounts, a very even two man race. Yeah, I, I think Casey Thompson did, was really sharp in the second half against CU, um, they just lit them up and he doesn't quite have the same arm as Hudson card. And I think Hudson card has created a lot of buzz within the program, uh, like former Lake Travis quarterback. And I think there's a lot of people who are very, very, um, enthusiastic about him. The question is, can he unseat Casey Thompson? Now we know this Steve Sarkeesian had great receivers last year at, Alabama and had did a terrific job with the, with a high powered USC offense when he was coaching Matt Leinert. Uh, but Sark will be quick to tell you that anytime he has been the primary play caller, he has always had a thousand yard back. And look, the best player in that program by far right now at Texas um, by a mile is Bijan Robinson. I mean, he looked tremendous against CU. He's a great all around back. They're going to feature him. They're going to lean on him a lot. And I think whatever they're going to do is going to be built primarily off that run game. So if you were a betting man right now, you saw the end of the year last year, you've heard the buzz on Hudson Card. Who do you think starts when they play Louisiana week one? I mean, I have no no inside knowledge on this one. I'm not seeing them practice. I just find it hard to believe Casey Thompson couldn't be, wouldn't be the opening day starter after the way he picked ended last season. To me, that's an easier scenario to manage. If like he comes out and struggles, okay, then you give Hudson Card the opportunity. Um, but if you're starting with with Hudson Card off the bat, um, I don't know. Might he transfer? Might he get ticked off and transfer? You know, again, this is where coaches in the transfer portal era are going to have a hard time, you know, harder time managing these things, but. Basically, I feel like he's earned his shot. And so, look, if there's a huge gap, that's a different story. But if they're pretty even, I feel like coaches in those situations generally go with the more experienced guy, at least at first. I think Sarek has to be mindful of almost having to give both a chance to play because this isn't a situation where they're sitting with four, four scholarship quarterbacks like Ohio State is. It's basically these two guys, and then there's really not much in the quarterback room. Uh and, you know, it's a long season, so you run the risk of you have a guy leave, and we see that a lot where we see guys leave in August. 
to get the you know to get a jump someplace else. Um, my hunch is he's going to play two for a little while and then let it sort itself out as best as he can. Now, what's tricky is Louisiana is a really good team. They have almost everybody back. Everybody back on defense. We saw them knock off uh, Iowa State last year on the road. If you're Sark and you lose to to Louisiana right out of the gate, that is a rough one to start with. Can you imagine the jokes from people, not just around college football, but around his own conference, talking about like, yeah, you're ready to for the SEC when you can't even beat a Sun Belt team. Well, that's true. I think uh, I think before this expansion news, we felt like if they lost that game, people would understand. But now it's going to be. That's why these there's you know they can't stay there for four years. It's going to, you know, there's going to be jokes like that every week. There's going to be um, unmerciful taunting when they go on the road in the big 12, but that's a whole other story. All right. You didn't think we were going to go the whole podcast without talking realignment. Did you? Um, although we are definitely starting to try to transition more into the season. I just wanted to talk real quick about this week, um, this week in realignment drama. Well, there was that Texas state hearing, but that was a while ago now. Uh, I think the interesting thing, and, and credit to our friend Max Olson, who broke this story, that Bob Bowlesby got on a plane and flew to the West Coast to meet with the new Pac-12 commissioner and apparently met for more they met for like six hours one day and then had coffee again the next morning. So, of course, this leads to all sorts of speculation. Are they going to emerge? What, what's what's going to happen here? Um, my sense is that was a little preliminary. I don't think anybody's going to make any big plans off it just yet, but um, I don't know. What would you think about those two either joining forces or doing some sort of scheduling alliance? Does We know that would benefit the leftover Big 12. Would it benefit the Pac-12? I don't know if it would. That's the issue. I mean, on this story, I think it was much in the best interest of Big 12 folks I'm not sure. I, I got the feeling that from the Pac-12 side, it was a little pump the brakes. Let's not overplay this too much in terms of, you know, if you're USC and USC is the biggest chip and the biggest card in uh, the Pac-12's hand, I'm not sure USC is looking to go, oh, great. We got Texas Tech and we got uh, Oklahoma State and we got Kansas and Kansas State. I don't think those, you know, that doesn't get USC fans very excited. If anything, I think that turns them off. Um, and I'm not sure, honestly, how the Oregons and the Washingtons really feel about that either. Um, you know, you talk to people out on the you know, Pac-12 footprint, I think some of them are going to go, we're talking to the Big 12 leftovers. That is not a flattering term. But I think from that part of it, also from a TV audience poll, that's limited to them. That's not a, that's a very underwhelming situation. So yeah, I get it from the, from the big 12. It's, it's generating some buzz that, Hey, we're trying to be proactive. We're trying to, trying to find some, some really positive solutions, but I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure how attractive it is for, um, you know, for the Pac-12, especially at the top of the food chain. Now, I want to ask you something. So I talked to, uh, a couple of days, I talked to somebody who I would say is one of the sharpest people I know related to college sports. And one of the points that this person made was, I think that the the commissioners and power brokers around the sport of college athletics would behoove them to try to get more of, more, 
<clears throat> TV or broadcasting people and companies involved in this because in the NFL world, it's not just Fox and CBS. They do a lot of juggling and they do, and now it's a different model, but there are ways to do it right now. And this person said, you know, I don't think it's a great dynamic for them if it's just ESPN and Fox. They need to find ways to see if they can get more people engaged and more people really, in, more people ramped up about this. And so I'm going to ask you off that, um, what do you think is viable from that? But also, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about the, um, the college football playoff expansion and maybe pumping the brakes on that because do people trust Greg Sankey? Was Greg Sankey um, operating in bad faith with knowing what he saw the landscape of, which was very different what Bob Bowlesby uh, would understand it to be. So what do you make of the people who think that they shouldn't do anything and let this thing kind of see where it goes from a TV component as well, Because instead of rushing into it? I definitely think that was on the agenda for the meeting of the two commissioners. I, it's, it's an interesting situation because I totally get why the commissioners of the other conferences would feel miffed that Greg Sankey was, was putting that proposal together while at the same time, at least eyeing, if not negotiating with Texas and Oklahoma. But on the other hand, you're the PAC 12. I get it. I get why you would think that it's makes more sense business wise to wait till the end of the contract, you know, hopefully get a bidding war going. Maybe the 12 team playoff, much like the NFL playoff is split among multiple networks, but the Pac-12 missing the playoff every year has just become an albatross for that conference. Are you really going to risk five more years of that? Um, not to say that they couldn't, you know, Oregon could, could go and make it this year. I don't know. But the longer that drought goes, the harder it's going to be for them to keep those recruits on the West Coast. So what's more valuable? An extra little slice of TV money from the playoff or knowing your conference champ is going to go pretty much every year? How do you know it's a little slice of TV money, though? Um, I, little on a per school basis. I mean, I think ESPN is going to pay a lot of money for it, you know, just because it doesn't go to the open market. I mean, ESPN has every incentive to keep that thing for itself. So they will offer a very, very generous offer, I'm sure. And then it's just a matter of, do you think you can do better than that? And maybe you can. But they, but they took less, uh, the SEC took less money than going to the open market for uh, to do the deal with ESPN. So if Greg Sankey is the is the biggest voice in the room and is steering that in that direction because he has the most cards in his hand, what's to say that it's going to go it won't go the same it won't be the same play. You no, know, it could, but I, I mean as of today, if I, if they were going to hold a vote on whether to do this in 2023 or 2026, I'm fairly certain the ACC, Big 10 and Pac-12 would vote to to ride let it ride. Um I think to 2026. Yeah, I, I don't think it's been, uh, how do I put this? I don't think it's truly sunk in yet. Just how much leadership change there has been among these conferences just in the last couple of years and how that's affecting this business, right? Jim Delaney was there for at the big 10 for 30 years. Whoever had replaced him would have been a big change. And they brought in somebody from the complete outside and Kevin Warner, Larry Scott was at the PAC 12 since 2009. They brought in a complete outsider from, MGM. 
Uh, Jim Phillips has only been the ACC commissioner for a few months. And here they are, you know, not only having to run, run a conference, but having to make some huge decisions that affect the entire sport. So I think that's part of why they're feeling like, let's pump the brakes. We haven't fully had time to explore this. The guys who spent two years supposedly putting together this playoff proposal, Kevin Warren was still the Vikings when that started, right? Jim Phillips was still at Northwestern. So I think that's a big part of this. Like they, they don't want to rush such a major de- decision that affects the whole sport. All right, we're going to come back with a, uh, it, it was just, you know, unfortunate timing. Bruce was on the road Monday, Tuesday. I was on the road Wednesday till now. We just weren't able to do an episode till the very end of the week, but we were going to come back with one very early in the week next week because there's a very special piece of content going up on the athletic on monday that there's a pretty huge overlap between people who listen to this podcast and people who enjoy reading this particular story every year that's a good tease Stu. we'll leave it there all right uh and by the way that would be a good sign to go subscribe to the athletic the athletic.com slash the audible use that to get a discount because you're going to be want on want to be on the site on monday the night and we'll see you then Thank you.